Welcome to Sierra Devil Podcast, episode 102. Uh, we have Jeff Haas. Hayes. Hayes. Haas. Yeah, I, I, I think you should say it a little longer, Greg. Haas. <laughs> okay. That was weird. <laughs> the video had a delay too. Um, sweet. Okay, so Jeff is with us. Um, he has a podcast and a comic, and he does other things for other creators. So yeah, we're gonna talk about a bunch of stuff. So first, uh, what do you do? Besides, I, um, I do a bit. Um, I am the host um, and do public relations for the Traverse of the Stars podcast. Um, it's an entertainment podcast. We talk to um, actors from film, television, uh, comic book people, people, uh, uh, literature uh, writers, whatnot. Um, I also do publicist work for um, clients. Some great clients I have is uh, Chris Salhoff, who does um, Crit, and also have um, Laurie Calcaterra, who's doing The Path of the Pale Rider, which is also very cool. And then I do my own comic books as well. So I'm busy doing multiple different things at the moment. <laughs> yeah, so you like busy. to stay busy. <laughs> do I like it or do I just find myself doing that? <laughs> I find myself being busy, I suppose. Yeah, it's still fun work because you get you get to choose to do the work. <laughs> that is true. I, I, I do get to choose uh, who I talk to. <laughs> yeah. So do you do that as your like nine to five thing is all of that? Oh, oh no! Um, nine to five. I'm a high school teacher. Oh, this is my after school activities. <laughs> do you like teaching, or do you just want to um, do this stuff at some point? Um, teaching had had its moments. Um, and unfortunately, it's uh, losing some of its luster. Unfortunately, over time. But um, the the idea of teaching is still something I enjoy. It's just apparently not the actual at the moment. But um. Podcasting, if, if I could do podcasting nine to five, I would definitely do podcasting nine to five. I mean, you have to admit, this is really damn fun. You get to talk to who you want to talk to, set your own goals, you know, your own hours. And then, you know, you have your, your ego stroke and people like, like and comment. It's like, hey, look, they liked it. <laughs> My ego is good for another couple of hours. <laughs> have you ever considered uh, teaching podcasts or teaching uh, comics? Um, I actually, as an English teacher, I do have a. Um, a a part of my class is teaching comic books. That's uh, right awesome. now, actually, now my ninth graders actually start to actually going to start doing their first comic book of the uh, school year. Nice. Yeah. yeah. See, Greg, Greg's over there, like, man, I wish I was I was in high school now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, we just finished reading uh, Batman Nightfall as part of their uh, Tragic Hero series, and we're moving into writing um, their their comic book from here. What? That's very yeah. cool. That's cool. Um. Uh, so. Uh, as they go through writing, are you helping them? So, so like one of the things like when Greg writes and the reason why like I edit it after is he writes very much like a uh, storyboard for film. So every yeah. once in a while he'll have a panel that needs to actually be six or he'll have six panels that could have been done in one because the difference between comic books uh, paneling versus storyboarding is pretty drastic. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, do you uh, teach that at all? Like how to, um, how to articulate uh, what needs to be said or uh, exhibited in a panel, or sure. is um, it? Uh, yeah. yeah. Basically, I, I teach comic book script format. You know, um, the you know page uh, panel dialogue um, breakdown. 
Um, I do do some discussion on um, expectations on a page, you know, such as each panel is basically one action. You can only describe it as a frozen action. You can't have multiple different events in one panel because the, the, the artist will kill you. Um, but of course, the the, the uh, students, the artist as well, unfortunately, because I can. Um, if anyone wanted to do a free time and do some artwork as my students write their stories, that'd be fantastic. But no one's ever wanted to volunteer to do that. So basically what um, what they do, they write, they're drawing their own stories, but it starts off as script. And then I try to um, get them to do it in panel with you know their own writing, their lettering and whatnot. And then we go from there. Uh, with it, It's usually about five pages. And I had them follow the epic hero format where there's a tragic flaw they have to recognize and overcome. And, and that's kind of what I'm grading mostly on is whether or not they can understand the format of an epic hero within their story. That's very cool. Um, I was just thinking something that would be really cool is if you could somehow get connected with um, uh, a larger illustration company, like, like someone who like someone who does this and actually maybe uh, at like the end of a semester or near the end of a semester, have uh, one of the students work like whoever like you know finish their work get them submitted to some like challenge to see like if one of them will get drawn because that would be incredible mm -hmm. to yeah like, like, like that, that would just be like a cool story to kind of bring comics back to life because like yeah they, like i don't even think the word comics was mentioned in my high school you know what i mean like <laughs> let, let alone a, a teacher discussing it you know most of the comics you know were by the time i was like about to leave high school and iron man's coming out right? like that's like you know, that, that, that's like the last time someone really brought that up. And the only reason I liked comics was that uh, the barber I went to uh, basically since I was a kid used to have comics laid out on like a little bookshelf. So whenever we were waiting to get our haircut, we'd be like going through comics. And then my dad had a couple of comics. But like outside of that, it wasn't like a very prominent thing. So like having a school that offers like teaching this and uh you know having like some challenge that makes it a little more newsworthy like that'd be kind of cool yeah I, I like bringing my nerd to work um uh, the next um when they're done the comic book the next thing we're reading is gonna be mouse um so we're so we're going down to the graphic novel um is the m-a-u-s mouse yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah okay yeah i mean once it got um banned somewhere i was like you know i'm teaching it <laughs> so there's, uh, it's not getting taught <laughs> nice <laughs> yeah, so, yeah yeah that's cool yeah, yeah. i learned that in one of my classes in like senior year and then um in 11th grade english i guess because macbeth is very like boring to actually read apparently to our english teacher he actually gave us like a graphic novel to read of it and that's yeah. like, that's way cooler <laughs> well uh, well i will say um i do teach macbeth with my sophomores next it is not a boring read. Your teacher just sucks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's. I, I think it's like the trying to translate the old English um, and making it sound fun, I guess. But like the story itself is interesting. So like it's like yeah. it's not the story yeah, that sucks. Yeah. It's like the struggle to get through the difficult phrases that you're not used to saying. It, it, it is. In, I would say it's an inherent laziness in the teacher to not attempt the actual Macbeth. I mean, I have once in a while. I usually teach. Um, a, 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 I can't remember the, the name of the book, but there's a Macbeth book that on the left side is the Shakespearean side, on the right side is the standard English yeah. side. So the kids who get lost can look over to the other side and get what's really happening. And for the lower skilled students, I do kind of encourage, you know, as we're reading, kind of look on the right side, make sure you're following, you know, you kind of get what's happening. But Macbeth is so easily translatable. I mean, even the in old Shakespeare, I mean, the plot is fairly direct and you just got to try it a little bit. I mean, 
kids pay attention to you. If you're sitting in front of the room and you're acting out the scenes in front of the students, trust me, they're looking at you and they're paying attention and they will remember who the hell you're talking about. You yeah, I was about to say, like, you definitely need to, you need imagery because, like, I think there are a lot of teachers that just, like, read it in class and it's like, this was a play. This wasn't a literary piece of work, right? Like, it's not like you're meant to sit there and read this because if you do, it is very difficult. Like, you're just reading very complex words while trying to, like, figure out what they meant, where these words were made, some of these phrases were made up by Shakespeare, and the only reason the audience knew what he meant was because they were portraying it in the actual act. So, like, yeah, it's, it is ridiculous, because, like, that, I feel like that is, that is true. Some teachers yeah. probably just, like, have you drone through it. Well, like I said, I do, in the class, we do have the graphic novel as well, and I have given it to, once again, um, I teach at a therapeutic high school, so the, the ability range goes from near grade level to you know, 10th grader who's at the third grade level. So, I mean, some kids at the lower level that gets the, gra the graphic novel because that's all they can handle. But they still are in the class, so they can still at least hear it, and they can still kind of get the, the ideas of it. Like I said, I mean, I'm in front of my class. I mean, when we're doing, like, the three witches, I have, like, a fake cauldron. That, it's not really a real cauldron, but you know, it's, like, just whatever's around me. The desk, I'm sitting there doing, like, cackling and shit. It's like, whatever, just do it. Who cares? Make an ass of yourself. It's it's fun. The kids get, you know, will enjoy it. At least remember the part that you mean an ass of yourself on, they will remember the most. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Uh, when we were reading Macbeth, we weren't actually reading it. It was in the graphic novel and he just had a tape that was on. So like there was the witches like, <laughs> <and> just, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, all right. <laughs> like, scary. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. Another book that we, well, another book that we actually read though was uh, the crucible. Cause that was, oh. yeah, that was a good one. Well, we teach, I teach that as well. That's a junior. That's a junior book. That and Death of a Salesman. We read back to back. Um, yeah, I mean, teach. You know, English can be fun for those who actually try doing it. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. Phone it in. Yeah, I, th I think that's probably the other big thing too. Is like I, I know I hated English. Well, the other, I think the other reason I hated English was like I'm, I was like the hyper logical, like you know, math science, and then I'm like, this isn't even English. It's reading comprehension. Like this isn't French. Right. It's not English. It's, it's reading comprehension. We call it English class. Um, but uh, yeah, j just the idea that, um, you know, t if you're going to be telling older stories, you know, make them interesting so that like people are drawn to them. Like I remember reading Catcher in the Rye and being like, this is the dumbest. Like, I don't know why That's I'm reading so this. I've learned nothing from this. I learned that if you're a dick, bad things happen to you. <laughs> like, I, I have literally <laughs> never read it. As an English teacher, I will admit, I've never read Catcher in the Rye. Yeah, don't. It's not <laughs> worth your time. I, it, of all the books, because like it is interesting, like Fahrenheit 451, I remember going through that. That has an excellent value. It's, you know, talking about like tyrannical uh, governments and like how uh, if you suppress knowledge, you'll cause, you know, people who will blindly follow and all this stuff. It's a very cool story but like yeah catcher in the rye is literally about like some kid who's kind of a dick and like he gets with you know like he has like a rough go of things and i tell you that's like that's all i remember from that is like just some guy and he was whining the whole time so it's like it's just like a dumb story and uh then then your teacher's like okay now let's try to come pull some really philosophical thing out of there now i have something in mind and if you think different than me you fail and it's like that's a stupid <laughs> it's so well, stupid I mean, you, you got to be smart about your books. I mean, I teach Animal Farm, which is a genius. Yeah, another great one. Yeah, that's another great one. Uh, yeah, nice, yeah, nice and perfect book to read. I mean, that scares the shit out of your kids. Recently. What is it? Night. Uh, Night is on Eli Wiesel uh, about the Holocaust. Um, yeah, it's pretty heavy shit. So when the at the very beginning, when they're um, having real barrels of babies being thrown into the furnace, trust me, the kids Damn. pay attention quickly. <laughs> I've never, really, never even heard of this one. 
it is That's an crazy. absolute classic uh, book. Um, we actually for um, um, for a couple of years ago, I had one of my guest speakers, Alicia Weisel, the son of the author, and he came to talk to my students about the book and his father and his experience. When every once once a month, I have guest speakers from the um, industry, entertainment industry, talk to my students. Sometimes we get we got actors. We get uh, we had. Um, uh, Billy West spoke to from Futurama. Spoke to my kids, and I and I usually uh, that's on, awesome. Yeah, it's nice to be having a podcast. I get connections with people, so every once in a while I'm like, "Hey, you want to talk to my kids?" And they're like, "Sure." Like on the end of April, we're having Miles Anderson, who is in the tragedy Macbeth uh, on Apple Plus. He'll be talking to my kids about Macbeth and Shakespeare. So we're doing that at the end of April. Uh, we've had um, uh, with Dee Dee Pfeiffer was on as well. She's the sister of Michelle Pfeiffer and an actress as well. She talked. And then we had the uh, screenwriter behind Mississippi Burning talk to my kids as well during the summer. Um, yeah, so usually once a month I get a guest speaker to come and chat with my kids about stuff. We've had uh, comic book guys as well. Uh, Michael Conrad and Becky Clooney spoke to my kids. Um, we had a few other comic book artists um, and writers talk to my kids as well. And usually they um, enjoy it. Wow. And I wish I was in your class. <laughs> <laughs> we only had like one person that ever came in. And I think I missed that day because I was at like a college thing. And it was, oh no, I think it was sick because it was eighth grade, so I was definitely not in a college thing. Um, and we were reading uh, Anne Frank, the diary of Anne Frank. So the like nurse of that story was there. I was like, What? <laughs> you missed it. I was like, oh, I was sick. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you gotta come tell my kids that, that it's all interesting. Um, sometimes they take it for granted. I think I've done it so many months, yeah, so many a couple of years now that they start taking it for granted. Like, who's the speaker now? I'm like, oh, it's the actor from the movie Conspiracy. Um, it's the one with Kenneth Branagh. He's one of the um, major actors in the movie, right? I was like, he'll come talk to us about uh, Conspiracy and Night. And they're like, oh, really? Do you any, anyone bigger than that this time? I was like, yeah. <laughs> What the fuck? Yeah, yeah. Kids, kids, kids get too get get too. Um, quickly. Yeah, we have Brad Pitt talking about. Yeah, Club. I mean, like I said, when I, when I have Michael Conrad and Ben Lee, you know, they're big writers, and they're like, "Oh, really? Another comic book writer?" It's like, "Fuck you." <laughs> so it's like, yeah, that's why none of you will start a podcast. Right. <laughs> get out of here. But uh, we, we've had some good people. We've had um, the, um, the the head of uh, NASA outreach um, came to our time. We had someone from SpaceX come to our kids, talk to our kids oh, about that's awesome. science. Yeah, every um, usually once a month we get someone to come in and and talk with them. <laughs> it would have been funny if he's just thinking yeah, we had someone from SpaceX. You know, Elon stopped by. Just like, oh god, just, like just someone from SpaceX. That'd be oh, funny. Don't get me wrong. I heard that. Got a Tesla. Yeah, I heard that from my kids. Like, yeah, we got someone from SpaceX. Is it Elon? No. Oh, yeah, I'd still be jacked. Like, like, like oh. someone from like the first, uh, like hyper successful, uh, private space industry. Like, that's ridiculous. I don't care who it was. Yeah. Like, so basically, whoever this is was vetted by Elon Musk. Like, who's basically our Einstein. Like, right. the, you know, like so. It's like, yeah, absolutely. I'd be jacked to see whatever scientist comes out of there. Whatever. Like, I don't care if they're if they're just a, a pencil pusher and they're just an admin there. Like, I'm sure that they have information that would be like just astounding to you know ask questions about. Yeah, he was cool. He was like, say he was one of the engineers. At least yeah, I, that's usually awesome. there are 30 minutes long talks, uh, Q and A through Zoom and. You know, they have them write, you know, ask questions and whatnot, and usually they're appropriate questions. And, um, you know, it, it, it's been that the questions first because they're not all going to be like, no. Hey, how's Elon? <laughs> yeah, no, uh, what happened? Oh, I started originally, um, I had um, had them type their questions into the chat room, each one of them had access to it. After a couple times of doing that, I now have the questions given to the teacher, and the teacher types them out. <laughs> I learned my last night of the first day, I was like, Nope, can't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, trying to read it, and you're just like, Nope. 
yeah, I, I, I think one some some one one, one of the, the asshole kids they're like, "Do you like cats?" I was like, "Fuck, dude, really? You got the engineer from NASA? I mean, from the engineer from SpaceX, and you're asking if he likes cats?" It's like, "Well, I thought it'd be funny." I was like, "No, nah, you're done." Uh, the teachers are gonna type questions from now on. <laughs> nice. This is why we can't have nice things. That is. Kids find a way to ruin everything on some level. <laughs> that's funny. That's funny. That's like a huge thing um, in almost every industry, though. Like, the reason why, like, people are like, oh, why do ads cost so much? It's like, because marketers figured out how they work and they take advantage of them. <laughs> right. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, you know what I mean? It's always true. It's like, it, there's always something that uh, people will, like, I think that the reason why a lot of independent artists get lost, like even independent comics get lost is because basically, uh, you know, one person really wanted to learn. So they go in, they figure it out. They, they publish something independently. And then a bunch of other people are like, Oh, that looks easy. And then they start flooding the market with, you know, garbage because they don't look up like how to write comics. They don't look up how to draw and how to story tell. And so now if you want to compete in the indie market, you have to like, not, not only do you have to be, uh, pretty damn good because you're competing with now, like now there's like Marvel and DC comics uh, creators and writers and artists that are leaving there and then just starting their own little thing. So you got to compete yeah. potentially with the artistry of them. And then you also have to stand out from the crowd of indie creators through your own marketing efforts and reach and network. And so, yeah, it's like that, that's, I think I feel like that's true of anything, but yeah, it definitely starts with the kids well, going, do you like cats? <laughs> yeah. Well, well, you know, like, well, that's why um, if you're an indie publisher, you do, you need a publicist, which is what also I, I do on the side as well as a side gig. I do publicist work for indie comic book people who have Kickstarter campaigns. Um, and so far so good. Everyone has, uh, everyone has had, has um, at the very least uh, hit their goal, if not gone high, um, significantly higher. So good for them. Um, you know, I did like Bigfoot knows karate. They did really well. Um, um the bardic verses did well and now like i'm doing crit and um path of the pale rider and uh crit has already uh doubled their goals so everything's so far so good so it publicists help um the one thing i will say about ruining things social media has ruined um advertising big time i mean the algorithms that they've come out with i mean you're in a room of a thousand people and you post five people see the damn post you know i mean facebook twitter does the same thing i mean i had a couple of posts from get retweeted by when i'm doing the podcast People with like 50,000 followers, 60,000 followers. I'm looking at the impressions going, here it comes, the big impression. I click, it's like seen by 400 people. It's like out of 50,000? Sucks. Like, because, like, as, as a marketer, like, I'm, I, I understand why that happens too. Because, like, people are like, I have 100,000 followers. Why didn't none of them see my stuff? It's like, because now they all stupidly follow like 100,000 other people and they don't scroll through 100,000 posts. And now Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, they got to go, oh, crap. Well, we got to give them something to stay on the platform and we want to show them as much as we can of as much of the stuff that the people they follow is, but they're only going to see 130 posts a day, but they follow 15,000 people. All right, let's do a random, right? And like, it, basically that's, I think it's something like uh, you're likely to reach three to 5% of your audience. And then if you're, that audience engages, they'll increase it. If they, if they don't engage, they'll decrease it to like one to 3%. Yeah. Um, and then basically, unless you go viral, you'll probably cap off at like five to 10%. But uh, yeah, it's like, like, but basically what happened is I post once it's valuable content. You post once it's valuable content. And Greg over here is like, huh, well, this is in chronological order. Let me post 27 times so that they can only see my posts. And that's what that's what happens. That's where the marketers ruin it because they're just like, we're just gonna flood it. So there's no way that they'll ever see my competitor. And then Facebook has to go, oh crap, like you know. Yeah, 
it, it, it is a tough any comic books is a tough gig right now. Like I said, with the algorithms and whatnot. Like I said, when I'm I when I, for my clients for my publicist work, I post um, usually two or three times a week um, to something like 30, 40 groups. And you know, like I said, you're probably getting 40 views, and maybe out of those 40, 30 of them are the same fucking people over and over again <laughs> who are on all the same damn groups that you are. And out of those 30, 29 of them are people doing the same shit that you are doing, and are and you're just proliferating the same crap with everyone's looking for their own crap and no one's really looking to purchase anything they're just on the site promoting their own crap you know it, it's a rough yeah. market <laughs> it's rough so yeah. explain to like explain what a publicist does to someone that doesn't know what they do all right um, for those of you who are in the indie world and looking for a publicist basically what we do is a couple of things first i help you schedule interviews with podcasts such as this one thank you greg um and, you know, usually depends on how many interviews you want in a month. Usually I book about 15 a month for, for my clients, sometimes more, sometimes less, depending on what they're asking for. Um, I help them schedule them. I help them keep tr track of their dates. Um, I help them. We go to the marketing instructions. I, for one, my current clients, I help. I created the Twitter page for them. So I, and I post for their Twitter and I look and I uh, follow and um, get follows for, for them and I help build that up, help build their page if they don't have a page. Um, I think, like I said, I post two or three times a week, sometimes more, to 30 or 40 uh, Facebook groups that do that are comic book related. And I post their posts over and over again to try to make sure people are, are they're visible. And then um, hopefully um, it, within 30 days of their launch, they hit their goal and they're happy and everything's good. I mean, I don't advertise ever, so it's all word of mouth. And so far, word of mouth has been good. Um, but yeah, the good thing about what a publicist does for you is it helps you get seen by people and podcasts and in people who do interviews because you always look more professional when you have someone who represents you instead of you doing it yourself you know what i'm saying you just look a little more professional a little bit more um successful when you're like well we'll have you know uh, this is my publicist you know it just gives you a little extra feather cap to say this is someone i'm good enough that i have someone speaking for me you know and that person who hopefully speaks for you knows people and knows how to talk to people and eventually will get you more interviews and that just builds your um presence online that's funny. Uh, we, we were chatting with um, uh, who was it uh, that set the tables? Uh, we were talking about the tables at a convention. Dimitri. Uh, finish line. No, no, the finish line. Oh, oh finish. Or, uh, uh, Dave, finish line comics. Dave, what's his name? Oh no. Edward. What? Ed. Ed Davis. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, and basically, the thing that we were talking about was that he'll take his comics and he'll get them. Um, uh, Lab. The C, what is it? CG slab. Yeah, slabbed. Yeah, so basically, it's proof that the comics are slapped. Is that what you're saying? What? What are you saying? What? CG, what? What are you saying? Slabbed. Slabbed. Okay, it is slabbed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, anyways, yeah, so like, you know, he'll get them CG slabbed just to get that authority for them. It looks like they look like, oh, wow, like they've been like approved and like that's a cool thing. And uh, he was saying it's kind of like a trick because like it's not that easy, or it is that it is very easy to do, so it's not that hard to do. Um, and uh, I was like, well, it's not it's not really actually a trick because what you're doing is you're doing something other people didn't do, and that alone is enough to give you more authority. So like hiring a publicist, it, even if it's not like a difficult task, like yes, anyone can get a publicist. But the thing is that not everyone goes out and gets a publicist, and that alone makes you stand out. And that's what I meant. Like, if you're an indie creator and you want to stand out, yet obviously you have to have excellent artwork. You have to have great storytelling. You have to have 
um, you know, the online uh, social proof. You have to have people that follow you. And great ways to do that are obviously doing things like the CG slabs and or having a publicist going to conventions, right? All of those things help build um, authority and show that you're here for the long run. And I, I, I forgot which uh, guest we had that we talked about this, but basically it was the idea that, actually it might've been crit now that I think about it. Uh, we were talking about the idea that you don't really make it to your fifth comic because basically you kind of have this, you, you, you kind of have this uh, milestone of almost like, oh, this guy's gonna stick around. Like this isn't some one-off guy who's gonna make a single comic. Like I think I found out that if you get something like a hundred views on a podcast, you're in the top 50 percentile of podcasts. It's something really small like that. And people don't realize this because it's just there's so many people creating that if you just last a little bit longer, you're likely going to win more than you think. And that's why the, the uh, I think Seth Godin calls it the dip. There's this idea of like you're, you're going up in growth and then everyone hits this. And there's actually a dip at one point where it feels like absolutely nothing's happening. And it's the people that get beyond that that shoot up. And they only did a little bit more than the other guy. They just stuck around longer. And that alone can help you stand out in the crowd. Yeah. I mean, the, the key, I think, to from a publicist perspective and, and a podcast perspective as well, and a com any basically at any level of doing anything with other people, the key is per um, perception. Perception is everything. Sort of like, like I said, when you're a publicist, just having the publicist increases the perception of you. When you're when I'm, when I'm doing my podcast and I look for guests, I don't ever say, "Would you like to come on my podcast?" I say, I re "I'm the I'm the rep, I'm the public relations manager for the Traverse and the Stars podcast." You know, it makes me sound more interesting. Other than, yes, and I'm also the host and the own. I don't ever you know I'm also the host and the owner and the uh, and the uh, tech guy and everything else. I mean, no, I just introduce myself as the public relations guy and hope they don't notice that when they do the interview, it's also me. And then, you know, everything else is awesome. You know, perception matters. How you talk about yourself matters. I was going to say that the, the, um, I use a, what, what's it called? A email signature generator, like to create a professional email signature. And 100% this works. I've, I've uh, found gigs on Craigslist, someone looking for something. And uh, I'll send it to a friend of mine because like, let's say it's photography or videography. You know, uh, one of my business partners does that. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll send it to him so he can do it. He'll message them and get nothing. And then I'll be like, you know what? Let me let me like just follow up. I'll, I'll shoot them an email even if he didn't because like I didn't know he shot him one yet. Yeah. And so I'll shoot him one and I've got a professional email signature. And I'll get an answer. I find out that he never got an answer. I showed him the email signature generator. I had him put that. He gets more responses now. Now what I do is so uh, for the music businesses that I work with, I have different roles depending on the company. So we have a uh, management company. I'm president of the management company. Uh, I'm the one that runs everything involved with that. Uh, when it comes to um, our record label, I'm VP of marketing, right? When it comes to our live events, I'm VP of marketing. So the interesting thing is what I will actually, I now under my uh, general email for that, because it's like Dylan at the upstatesound.com because it's like all under one umbrella. I'll just change my email signature depending on who I'm mailing. And so they'll see like, oh, this, this is somebody's manager. So when I'm reaching out for my artist and we're trying to book a show, I'll email them as his manager. But now I'm reaching out to somebody who I'm doing live events with. So I'm going to switch that to the live events one. And the cool thing, if people don't know this, is on Google, if you create a bunch of signatures like in Gmail, you can actually just swap it out right as you're writing it. So you hit compose 
And as long as you have more, like if you create multiple signatures, you can go in there. So Greg and I, we share SierraNovaComics at gmail.com, and we actually have dual signatures. So when you hit Compose, it'll pull up Greg's, but if I'm writing it, I'll just click a little button, switch to me. And so it stays professional. You, you, uh, you know, they see my name, my contact information in there. It, it's like it's that. Per, you're absolutely right. Perception is so powerful, um, and that is why like publicists have jobs. Like there is a difference between marketing and PR and publicity. Yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. I, I agree with you 100. That's why at least I'm having. Um, I just paid somebody um, to um, to do a press kit for me for the podcast as well. Once again. Just a little more professional. I know my, you know, I do. I think I do a good job with my public relations stuff. Design for I'm, it's, it's shit for me. I, I don't understand design. I'm, I don't have an eye for it. I, I, you know, my shit is on Microsoft Word and stuff. You know what I'm saying? But um, yeah. <laughs> but so you know, pays up someone some money, and they're gonna make an, a press conference again. Just a little bit more respect, a little bit uh, better perception of you when you can show up and say, "Here's a write up on my show." It just looks impressive, and then you manipulate it to make yourself sound better. I mean, I could be like, you know. But just to let you know, I've only been around for a few months. No, fuck that shit. No, uh, you know, I've been, you know, we're a premier entertainment podcast, blah, blah, blah. You know, perception matters. Years of education or educating people. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, you know, I mean, I, I put on, because, uh, um, you know, one part of the press kit is writing a uh, a snippet about your, you know, your show. Yeah, bio, yeah. Yeah, and I said, our hosts have years of interviewing experience. Host is me. <laughs> but fuck it. <laughs> it's host plural. It sounds more impressive. Like we, we instead of I. Like yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll handle that. Yeah, I, 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 I refer to everything as our our show. You know, it's you know, just it sounds better than I. I'm a guy who sits around my house doing podcasts. You know, I just better say our or we. You know. Yeah. Then, you know, it, it it all matters. I mean, perception and, and, is everything. And honestly, like for anyone who feels like that might be like stretching, should be stretching what you're doing. It's not like when you say our, it's me and my podcast, right? Like it is still like actually technically correct. It, but the, the whole idea is if you plan on growing, I'm, like if you want that to be your nine to five, eventually you do plan on having staff. Like, what do you want to do? Say I for 20, you know, uh, you know, two years. And then all of a sudden like, you have to start saying our, like, no, you're getting used well, to it. It's like the, uh, what's it called? Affirmations. It, it, it's, what, it's, it's what's referred to as the royal we. Yeah. The, the royal we. Yeah, we, disagree. <laughs> we have determined like for that. this country, you know, it's, it's the royal we I go by, you know, and it, and it works. No, nah, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> the royal we. Right. I mean, let's face it. The truth has a place, but it's always in the back of the line. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's funny. That, that sounds like what a royal we would say. <laughs> The truth has its place, but it's at the back of the line. <laughs> but but like it is it is funny because like uh, for me um, like I got like I said I'm, I'm a marketer that's what I do and I I do know that it's different than uh, you know being a publicist like I'm not going and reaching out to podcasts for people like that is a very specific thing I would be the one that would go okay like here's the content that is your brand material. So you can use it or send it for that like that uh, like I would I would hire that designer and like create press kits for people, but I wouldn't be the one that's like doing the actual uh, you know reach out and connecting with podcasters and you know connecting with potential bloggers things like that. Um, actually, I was going to ask too. Like you said podcast. Do you reach out to blogs at all? Um, I I mean I haven't done that in a little bit. I mean, there's some people who uh, we we did uh, well, Greg was on it. We did Podcasters United. 
and I hope to do another one near the end of April where I bring five or six indie podcast people, hopefully um, mostly the same. Maybe there'll be a few additions here and there and to talk about stuff. And I think it's a, a good way to, you know, um, help out and, and kind of connect better with the indie podcast community. And I think it's good for everybody to connect and share, hopefully subscribers and things of that nature. And that's what I do. Um, I would say mostly the podcast focuses on um, actors, directors, screenwriters, comic book writers, artists, things of that nature. Um, you know, and I reach out to them and, you know, and you know, keep in mind, it's also a numbers game. I send out probably 60 to 80 emails a month and I get maybe 15 responses, positive responses, you know, but it's a numbers game and I um, have a pretty good percentage of them. Um, come on. At least in my opinion, I'll go 15 out of 80 to me is fine. I mean, it's, if it's baseball, I, I, I don't make it to the Hall of Fame, but still, <laughs> and I, was, I, I still get to stay on the field, <laughs> which is what matters. That's good. <laughs> yeah, I asked, um, for, I asked for podcast guests in January, and I, apparently that's like the go-to time to ask for a guest. <laughs> because I, once I posted that, I just got like over 200 comments of like, can I be on your show? I was like, yeah. Oh, all right, cool. <laughs> yeah, so for anyone who wants an engaged post, ask if someone wants to be on your podcast in January. <laughs> and then just reshare it a month later. <laughs> well, I'm telling you, I mean, the lockdown was perfect for a podcast. I mean, the, the amount of people who had nothing better to do and come on my, you know, the shows during the lockdown, that, that was like heaven for a podcast. That, I wish my podcast has had launched during the lockdown. Um, I was on Spoiler Country at the time. But uh, I kind of hope it was on during that period of time because the lockdown was perfect. Everyone was home. No one had anything else to do. <laughs> it was the perfect time to launch. I was going to say, it was it was better to get guests and it was better to increase listenership because yes. not only is someone who already listened to the podcast now just have free time so they can definitely catch all these episodes, but yeah. also the people that were just bored and they're like, well, I've already watched all of Netflix. What do I do next? And then they're like, oh, like I could listen to podcasts. Let me check these things out. Um, because I, I, I guarantee like there's been probably like somewhere between like a 20 and 30%, maybe even 50% increase in podcast listenerships just because of the lockdown. Well, so like, yeah, it's, it's definitely a big deal. Well, I will say when, when I was on um, the sport of the country, I, I think the podcast increased 20 times in that first year of the lockdown. Um, I mean, it was an amazing boost. Um, and a lot of it, like I said, was their home and, you know, and you know, it, it, for my podcast, like I started my podcast in uh, November so if we could have one more lockdown, it would really be helpful for me. <laughs> the so, only thing uh, I liked about the pandemic was there was no traffic. So I got to like go home from work and there was nobody. I was like, that's, oh, that's, dude, that's yeah, good. that was like New York, yeah, New York City, San Fran, and LA. I just remember listening to like uh people who live there either in podcasts or I just have friends that live in those areas and like how like the Golden Gate Bridge was empty. And it's like, that's never happened. Like, like, yeah, it was pretty crazy. Um, I, I remember telling some people when I, like, I think it was probably like three weeks into it, like right in the beginning when like everything stopped entirely. I remember telling some of my photographer friends, I'm like, you better go out now. Cause you will never, ever, ever get this opportunity. Again. This is like definitely a once in a lifetime opportunity to go get shots. You will never see again. <laughs> But that being said, if another plague does want to happen, this is a good. It's helpful. It, it helps. It helps <laughs> for, for all the hermits, like, all the hermits are like, "Come on, I don't want to. I don't want to see more, anyone." <laughs> right, one more plague, guys. Just one yeah, more. Just one, one more trip around the sun. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, so you, yeah, yeah. And we have a comic, uh, Malik. 
Malik? Malik. Yes, uh, Malik, the reigning devil. It's a uh, eventually going to be a six-issue miniseries with a, with a bunch of um, tie-in comic books that connect. Uh, right now, two issues are complete. You can find them on Indie Planet. Um, we also have a one sh- um, a mini that's in something called uh, Gunmetal Black Ops, which is also Indie Planet. And then there's um, Malik, uh, Heaven's Child, which is in an, another comic book. And we're about to release um, Annex Blade, which will be coming out soon as well. And then the third issue is being worked on. Basically, it's about a fallen angel. Um, um, basically, Malik is um, God's assassin angel. He's the premier angel that God sends out to kill anyone who he feels wrathful about or spiteful, you know, spiteful, whatever. And um, Malik, having realized that, um, was sent to hell to kill Lucifer um, in the beginning of the, the mini comic. And what happened is the, the, the rules of hell work as first to be to go to hell, an angel must fall. So Malik kills a brother angel, uh, loses his wings and forever eternity. He will be trapped in hell. And Malik also will le- learns as well that to kill the devil is to become the devil. So the next whoever kills Lucifer is going to become the next devil. The idea that God had was God wanted a more malleable angel at, at, you know, at the top. And what happens is part of Malik's journey is to realize that he has been manipulated and used his entire existence by this uncaring father, which basically God, who doesn't care at all for his existence, who has just used him for murder and has, and basically in many ways, he's uh, Malik realized he's going to be tortured now his entire existence in hell for no reason, you know, for, you know, he was someone who, no, he was an angel that loved God, was loyal, and this is his payment, is a lifetime of um, torture. So he decides he's going to rebel now that he's in hell and he's going to fight back. And the story takes place, uh, two issues in hell, one issue in purgatory, and then it goes to heaven after that. As he uh, ascends the ladder. ladder. Yeah, sends the ladder uh, and basically realizes his place. Not only does he kind of recognize, you know, um, philosophically what, a, what he believes a, a God should be, but also deals with wrath and the idea of faith and all this as he goes on. And it's kind of an interesting journey that he goes on. And um, I, I think it's a lot of fun because I wrote it. Uh, so, of course, I like it. Um, I wrote exactly the comic I wanted to write for myself. <laughs> um, but um, it, it, it's, it's really entertaining. Like I said, and Malik is an interesting character. He is because um, his journey, he does develop as the story goes along from just pure wrath and anger to philosoph- uh, being very philosophical on what should a God then be like? You know, what is it you want love and faith and have what is your responsibility to those that are under your care? And he does develop in, into a, um, an interesting three-dimensional character as the story develops. That's very cool. I, I like the idea that because there, there has been stories before of like Lucifer thinking like he got the short end of the stick, but it's actually kind of cool to see it like a fresh person doing it. So it's not someone who's been down there forever and then goes, hey, this kind of sucks. <laughs> Instead, it's somebody who's sent down there and literally as it's happening, discovers that they're about to basically be punished for like following orders and then going like, this isn't right. And then trying to go back to the top but realizing that like that wrath and anger literally is just like the, the father figure that he doesn't like. So like first he has to become the devil, and because he realizes that's a bad shtick, he actually becomes the wrathful god that he doesn't like either, and has to like level himself out. It's a very cool story yes. arc. Exactly. Um, one th- like I said, what he realizes as story goes on. I mean, the few story parts I'm not going to get too much detail, but for instance, um, one 
ideas that we're, we're empowered the God or those in or those who become God are empowered by faith. The more people believe in you, the, the more um, powerful you, you become. So the question is, what's the fastest way for faith? Originally, it's fear. He initially because it's mightful for that reason. Then he realizes, am I not just the same fucking asshole that God was when he did the same thing? You know, and he does develop. And some of the best story points in the entire story is when Lucifer and Malik uh, talk with each other and have dialogue. They because they both have a similar they have a similar enemy. Obviously, God is their enemy, but they're both coming from different areas. God uh, Malik from wrath. And also a little bit from being a little more naive. Then Lucifer comes to it from idea of pride and arrogance. And it's interesting having those characters interact as well, because once again, perspective out of a current, current uh, singular point. So yeah, I mean, it's a lot of good stuff in that story. It's uh, the writing is a little um, elevated. And I kind of gave a more like an elevated, almost Shakespearean um, way of speaking, a little, you know, a little more elevated. And like I said, it's, it's a lot of good fun. And there's some cool characters. Purgatory is really fun, which we're working on right now. Uh, where Malik, um, not only is he going to confront Lucifer again, but um, he kind of also confronts his own past of what he was as a killer and um, a destroyer of cities. And once again, has to come to the fact that he also is a destroyer as well. And what does it mean to be the destroyer? You know, and it's, it's, it's a very interesting character. And I highly recommend people pick it up for two issues on Indie Planet. Um do that, buy it. Um, one, two, three, go publishing is, is the publisher. So, uh, plug, yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. We, we put that link in the description because it'll be on YouTube and then it'll be in the show notes, but I feel like nobody ever looks at show notes. Yeah. Yeah. And people don't read much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just want to look at pretty pictures. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So, what other stories have you like read or watched? that like inspired your comic um it actually was with a few um one of the best stories ever written in my opinion is dante's inferno uh dante's inferno um definitely inspired well that let's say not dante's Inferno, the divine comedy because the whole trilogy connects a little bit to what i'm working on um and it's definitely inspired by that um anyone who ever who's ever seen the movie the prophecy with christopher walken um it's gonna be impossible to not watch that movie and go yeah, he, he he saw this movie. <laughs> you know, damn well I saw that movie. Um, there's a little bit of supernatural in it, um, where you know of the TV show because you know I've been a fan of that show. I mean, you, it's it's not hard to watch to read my comic book and know what I've read. I, I was gonna say the, the 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 energy through faith that that kind of reminded me of supernatural because like all the different deities that like yeah. lost their power because no one believes in them anymore. Um, yeah. yeah, like I still remember that scene where like they're all sitting at like a, a table and. Uh, I think uh, season five. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I can't remember what, uh, what angel comes in and just like <laughs> starts oh, like fighting off. Oh, those, uh, that's Lucifer. He shows up. Um, Is it Lucifer? Well, Gabe, oh, Gabriel's there as well. Well, Gabriel's uh, the one I'm thinking of though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When Gabriel walks in, cause like, he's like, yeah, the, the goofball. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, <clears throat> you, you can definitely see influence of supernatural. There's, there's that. I mean, American gods are the same thing of empowered by faith. Uh, you can see the prophecy a little bit. It's inspired. Dante's divine comedy is definitely inspired by that as well. I mean, it, it's, I'm not going to sit there and go, you know, uh, or I mean, obviously there's Paradise Lost, so John Milton, you definitely have some John Milton there as well. But I mean, I'm not going to sit there and be like, oh, this is original, totally original concept. No, of course it's not. But it's, it's, it's a it's a spin on it and there's a unique voice to it and that makes it uh, mine. But yeah, there's definitely some inspiration. I mean, you watch you watch the process of for Walken. There's a scene where, um, there's a couple of scenes where uh, Gabriel is talking to Simon 
Um, and, he, and he's talking about the idea of God doesn't talk to me anymore. And you have Matt, that's kind of like Malik. And you have Lucifer and Gabriel kind of talking as well with each other. Of course, I borrowed some concept from there. I mean, of, of course, anything that's good, you rip it off. <laughs> I mean, right. I mean, every good work is a rip off of, of another better work that you tried to uh, put a spin on. <laughs> when it um when it comes to like the philosophical growth, is there any like philosophers that like you try to emulate with them? Like, is there is, is he trying to embody some philosophy from something that you've uh, learned or acquired? Um, well, I will say his philosophy comes not too different from a similar concept of of myself, who as an agnostic or atheist, depending on my on my mood that day, uh, I'm either atheist or agnostic. Though I'm technically Jewish, but ethnostic or atheist. Um, the idea of, you know, a lifetime of, of really contemplating what God would, you know, because to not believe in God, you first should think about what would it be, you know, okay, can you, could you, can you conceptualize what God is? And now think about, do you buy into the idea in the story? And I, as I kind of formulate my head, what would it make, you know, what would kind of God must exist for any of the, the Bible? You know, and I, and I like to read the text, you know, Old Testament, New Testament, Quran, all that stuff. Uh, what must it be like? And then you know, my philosophy on it. And then my like kind of has a very agnostic philosophy, which is there's an idea of, a, or maybe even a theist philosophy, um, the idea that there must, there is a God, he knows for a fact, that means an angel, but a God that must be indifferent, must be a true indifference to this God for it to exist. And thus, uh, why am I beholden then to an indifferent God? And that's kind of a philosophy that I kind of am following through on. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of interesting. Um, because, uh, yeah, if you, if you like, follow the old uh, mythologies like uh, the Greeks and uh, the Nordic gods, uh, many of them, that's probably the best way to describe it is that they are just indifferent to humanity. There are some of them that might want something from them or they just want to ignore them entirely. But indifference is probably the best best way to phrase it. And it's kind of interesting because, like, that kind of follows the that general uh, – when people ask life, uh, what's the meaning of life? They don't realize life's asking the question. It is, it is kind of a, a cool idea to realize that um, regardless of what uh, divine being there might be, the thing that you have to really realize is that it's still in your hands. Right. right? Even if even if the God from the Bible exists, he gave you free will, then that still means it's on your plate. If you want, maybe you can like in the reverse, almost like people, you know, pray and have faith and then they basically get energy. Right. Uh, you know, even if it's, that's the concept, it's still on you to take action. It's like a good idea is nothing without execution. So right. it, it, it's a very, it's a, yeah, it's very cool. Um, yeah. cause yeah, I, yeah, it's, yeah, sorry. You go. <laughs> no, I mean, cause I think, I mean, a lot of, I mean, as a regular human, there's no way for us to certainly know if there's a God or not a God. I mean, so our perception is based on hope, faith or whatever. So the nice thing about having the angel is that you take the question out of completely off the table, whether or not there is, he knows. I mean, he's an angel. It, it, it's a fact. It is. So now it gives you a different a perspective to look at. Then what does that mean? You know, if you know, for, he, he's not, he can't be an atheist. He knows for a fact. I mean, he is in heaven. I mean, it's a fact for him. So now what does it mean for everything else to be true? And that's, I think, uh, that's why it's important to look from that perspective as well. If, if you take, if you, I mean, I'm to take the atheist part away and go, well, there is no God. The, the, the universe is just random chaos, which it really is, in my opinion. But whatever. If you can get rid of all the doubt and say, now let's go to start off from the very singular point of there's definitely a God. It definitely exists. But now go, what does that mean? And now that's an interesting road to travel. What is, if there is definitely a God, you know there's a God, and you look around you, what does that mean then? You know, and then it's, 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 that's where the entertainment for me came from. And thinking about it is, well, you know, what does that road lead? Well, it leads to either a completely indifferent God 
or an asshole God. If God's that big of an asshole, does it deserve your worship to begin with? You know, if, if yeah. God is that rude and wrathful, why are you spending your time worshiping it? I mean, that seems kind of stupid on your part. But the question is, uh, but as humans, you don't know that for sure. There's always that whole God works in mysterious ways, which is the, the cop out for I have no idea, but it all sucks. You know, <laughs> in my opinion. <laughs> well, I, I like that because uh, I, I actually have some friends who are pretty religious. But um, for me, it's like I I just don't spend time thinking about it because of the fact that kind of one of the things you just said is how I think about it. It's like um, like like let's let's play the, the game like there's a God. So let's say that's already the rules. So then, you know, do I worship him is the next question, right? And so for me, the, the thing is like, well, if he's a good and just God in the in the way that I believe he would be, then he would not care that I don't worship him. And what I do in life is already good. And so I wouldn't be against him. Therefore, he there's no need to spend time worshiping, right? Then, then the next one is, well, let's say like, that's exactly how he is, but he just wants you to worship him. It's like, well, then I don't know if that's a just God. I probably wouldn't worship them. And then let's say he thinks the actions that I'm taking are bad, even I, I do believe they are good, um, you know, based on my own life philosophies, uh, then again, I would not think that there's a good God and I would not worship them, right? So like all of them still lead to not having to worship without having to uh, dismantle w whether or not it's true or not. Because like, let's say all those stories in the Bible are 100% true. And then basically what God also came to the conclusion of, since if we're made in the image of God and God uh, was spiteful and wrathful and all this stuff, and then eventually he wasn't, right? The rainbow, right? The whole idea is that maybe that the, the all-knowing God who was intelligent before us basically realized he must be indifferent because any judgment would then lay damages, right? Because if, if he decides something is good or bad, that he's stopping us from potentially reaching our own full potential and realizing our own wrongdoings. Well, so it, it's pretty interesting. Right. I mean, though, once again, like, as you said, the, the worship is any one, any God that's all powerful, all knowing everything else knows whether or not you believe or not, or whether or not you want to be a good person or not. It doesn't have to have proof of it. It should already know. Cause it's all powerful. Yes. That's yeah. You know I mean? <laughs> it, it, it just goes with, you know, with that territory. But um, one of the issues that I do discuss as well in Malik is Malik is talking about the idea of hell and punishment. And what he comes out with is, if I am de designed by you, as all humans are, you know, and angels also, if I'm designed by you, this is how you made me, how can you punish me for what you made me to be? You know what I'm saying? If, 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 I, if you have given me wrath as, a, as my fatal flaw, you know, I am wrathful, well, you made me, you created me to be this. How can you then turn around and, and then punish me for the thing you knew I was going to be like? You are, you are all knowing. You knew this is my direction. You knew this is where I was going. You knew what I was. How can you then turn around and smite me for it? And it was again, an interesting question. If God made us all flawed, how fair is it then to punish you for what you cannot control necessarily? And once again, how fair is all this? And it's, once again, it's one of the philosophies I will see. I'm, I'm, Malik deals with it throughout the story is if this is what I'm supposed to be, then who are you to say I'm not? I can't be. You know, yeah, I, th I almost wonder if like the the interesting uh, philosoph philosophical debate on that is the idea that uh, God messed up and gave us rules to not mess up. He knows that he's flawed and knows that you're flawed, and therefore you should try to fight those flaws. And if you don't at least try to fight them, then you're you're not doing you're not doing what because uh, what is it made in God's image? Then you're not doing what He also did, which was kill a bunch of people and then go, "Hey, maybe I shouldn't do that." Well, well, <laughs> that's a bad idea. Well, well, I mean, if God is flawed, then once again, that's a major problem to begin with. God is supposed to be infallible. 
as our understanding of him, or how can you worship an infallible? I mean, if it is a fallible being, you can't shouldn't be worshiping a fallible being who's just as flawed as you are. God is supposed to be inherently infallible, which is why he is God and thus all powerful. If he is um, a all powerful, all knowing, all present, fucked up thing. That's even worse than every other possibility. It's like, what the hell are you doing having all this power if you're just as fucked up as I am? The reason why I don't have any power and why mutants should not exist on our planet with like superpowers is that we're all too we're too fucked up to have the responsibility to have this kind of power. So we probably shouldn't have it. But um, you know, I feel like that's interesting because that plays into like the the X Men and stuff like that when you suddenly give you give like just a normal person like excessive power like that's that's why like Crit's comics actually really interesting is because it's like what would happen if me average Joe was suddenly given superpowers what would I do like and like everyone's reaction would be so drastically different like even if they're like in similar directions like oh I would do good things or I would do bad things it's still like you know that really deep debate in your head of like, I can do this. Should I do this? Right. I mean, like, <laughs> I, I mean, I, 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 I did a post on my Facebook not too long ago and, my, and the post was driving down the street and tra- and some guy driving 40 miles per hour on the highway. If I'm Magneto, what does the odds that I pick up that car and just throw it off the lane? <laughs> just because, you know, maybe I'm not even a bad guy. I mean, I am, who knows? Maybe I'm a bad guy, but even if I'm not a bad guy. There's that moment where you're just reacting, you know, Fuck this guy! I need to get to work. You know, throw him off the road. You know, just, just wiggle him a little bit. Right. <laughs> so, there's mutants in the X Men who have. I mean, there's some characters like Wolverine that are on or low scale kind of. You know, he has claws and he can run around, and that's you know that's nice. It's basically, but, if he's in that car, it's fine to throw it. <laughs> right, 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 right. But I mean, there's some X Men who literally have world ending powers. Yeah, like Jean Grey, who can just disintegrate everything. Right. I mean, at that <laughs> level, if once again, if God has allowed you to have as flawed as you are to have that kind of power, what the fuck is he thinking? I mean, nothing flawed should have that kind of power because there's no good way to ensure that's going to be used properly. And even the individual, we all have bad days. I mean, my bad day, I get angry at home for no reason. I, and I punch a wall. I have no superpower. The wall stays intact. You know, my wife thinks I'm an idiot, but the life my moves wrist on. is broken. <laughs> right, right, but life moves on. Now have a bad day with the ability to uh, unmake the planet. Earthquakes, bam! Right, right, you one bad day and you can't take it back. I mean, what the fuck? You, you'd be like, yeah, I accidentally ravaged uh, North America because I stubbed my toe. And I, and I, just I, was saying, yeah, I stubbed my toe and sent a hurricane, <laughs> a tsunami to take out that reactor. I was a little upset. Sorry. Right. So if there is a god, he cannot be flawed. Or what the fuck is his problem? You know, I mean, if you have that kind of power, you probably should give it up because you're just as dangerous as all of us if you're flawed and immensely powerful that that would be a horrible combination so you know, like you're saying like what if god was one of us right just, just a yeah slob like the like song like, us. <laughs> well, well like you said i mean that it'd be it would be a disaster you'd be like why am i you know one shouldn't worship someone who's fallible because he's just as wrong as you are probably but the other one obviously is um he better give up that power because he can't be trusted with it because not you know because obviously when you look at history in the universe he hasn't done such a great job to begin with if he's flawed so he either has all the plans and it's unknowable or he's just a fuck up, and that's not good either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, uh, here one second. I just wanted to share this. Just where is the share screen so people can see it? Bam! There it is, Malik Running Devil number one. Nice. Oh, that's trippy. <laughs> Why is it showing a smaller version? I think it's because I just did full screen. <laughs> it's funny. Oh, that's the yeah. second issue down there. Um, the next issue that we're working on, I think we're 10 pages in, is uh, he enters purgatory. And then eventually, like I said, he's going to lay siege to heaven. <clears throat> and 
and then there's an epilogue. And like I said, it's really cool. And then like I said, and you got and there's the one shot issues like Heaven's Child is really cool. It's um has to do it with a Nephilim who um is a birth uh, an angel and a human gives birth to a Nephilim and Malik is sent to kill him. And then there's a whole question of the the necessity of destroying an instant life who hasn't a chance to um, be good or bad. I mean, it's all good stuff. So if you like good stories with uh, some a, a good philosophical bent to it. By Malik Raining Devil, and then um, you can argue religion, philosophy, and why I'm a shitty uh, atheist, all you wish. <laughs> yeah, leave it in the comments. Put it in the comments how mad you are right now. I want to hear right. that. <laughs> if, I, if, I, if I insulted all you believe in, comment, buy the comic book, and, and just write nasty things all over it. Yeah. yeah buy, buy, ten of them. buy 10 of them because it's going to take a lot you know, right, to right. really get that hate out. I mean, if, you're, <laughs> if you're agnostic, you drink Dr. Pepper. You have to put that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, or die, Dr. Pepper. Well, I think what would hurt the most, um, me personally, if they you do what Dylan said, you buy 10 or 20 copies, cut out the, the letters, and write me a letter in the letters from the comic book as, as an angry letter. So that takes 10, 20 comic books. Do it. I, I will, it will hurt my feelings really bad. Yeah, make sure it's scary, though, and he's not quite sure if it's a real threat. <laughs> but make sure you buy the comic book first before you rip them up. Do not t steal them. Make sure they're ripped up original issues. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, you, sh you should get them, take pictures on Instagram, and tag him in it so that he knows that you got them because he wants to know that you didn't just print them online. You got oh, real ones. A live yeah. ripping up on YouTube would be awesome. Uh, horrible. Right. Do not rip them up live <laughs> yeah, on YouTube uh, and submit it to me. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, definitely go live because like you know people like that that that'll get a lot more people so you can show them how bad it is. Like just probably, like just yeah, probably do that on TikTok like, and uh, yeah. If you buy like enough, right? I mean, if you buy enough yeah. of those issues, they won't be they won't be able to corrupt any other minds of innocent people. Buy them all yourself. <laughs> yeah, put them in that comic book store them. and then just burn that store down. But make sure you film that because it'd be kind of cool, like the flames right. and the comics, like. Save others from being corrupted. Buy them all yeah. yourself. <laughs> yeah, you too can be saved. <laughs> yeah. I would hate that, you bastards. <laughs> no, stop, don't. <laughs> but anyways, uh, where, where can people where can people find you? Where do you want to lead them? Uh, if, uh, if if they can only go to one place, like where's, where's that number one place you want to say hi to, to your fans? All right. Um Okay, uh, find me on uh, J House Interviews on Twitter. So it's eight at J House Interviews, and you can find everything else from there. Or and and the uh, Traverse and Stars podcast on YouTube and Cat Captivate. Nice, awesome. So I, I, I broke the rule, but I, yeah, that's okay. I always say that too because like people still end up saying more, but it's just like whatever the first one you say is probably the one you really want people to reach out to. So like that's pretty cool. Like get to reach out on Twitter, say hi to them. Say how much. Say how much you want to see his comics in a comic book store on fire. <laughs> nice. Awesome. It was great having you. Thank yeah. you. It's awesome. Definitely right, have to see you back here. Thank you guys so much, and hopefully you guys come on for Podcasts United in April. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. All right. Have a great day. You too. <laughs>